Hey, what's going on? Welcome to Canucks Talk. It's Sportsnet 650. It's the home of the Canucks. I'm Jamie Dodd. I am back on the show with my co-host, Canucks insider Thomas Drance, who also covers the team at the Athletic Canucks Talk, brought to you by Avenue Machinery and Douglas Lake Equipment. Be a champion Don't on look the work so site. glum, man. <laughs> Don't look so glum. Listen, I had three beautiful days with Mike Alford. No one can ever take that away from me, and yeah. now I'm back to my normal life. Yeah. That's all right. Fair enough, fair enough. <laughs> we, and we had three straight days. A wonderful days. sling with Alford, Yeah. now here I am. And we had three straight days with really strong intros. <laughs> How dare you? How <laughs> dare you? Anyways. I actually made you a gift. I made you a gift oh, for coming so. back can to I the do, show. Can I do my reads Yeah, first? you can finish right. the reads. You can, uh, this is Avenue Machinery. And then Machinery I'll give you my gift. And Douglas Lake Equipment. You can find them together online at dleamc.com. We are coming to you live from the mobile Kintech studio today. Kintech Footwear and Orthotics, Canada's favorite orthotics provider, supported by over 2,500 five-star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at kintech.net. 650, 650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. Yeah, we're here at the uh, Canucks Alumni Luncheon. At the Hotel Vancouver in downtown Vancouver. And uh, very always an exciting event. We had a chance to catch up with Dave Babbage. We'll play that yep. at some point in the show. But uh, great to see lots of familiar faces, yeah. familiar names. And just, you can see the the joy that the alumni have catching up with each other. It looks like such a blast. Yep. They're wearing fun matching plaid. We talked to Dave about that a little bit. You know, you got Alex Ald, you got Yannick Hansen, you got the twins here, you got Babbage, you got L- Yurke Lume. You know, lots of conversation, lots of laughs. Mm-hmm. Um, you can just see how much it means to this group of former Canucks to be able to get together and give back. And that's why these events are always so well attended, yeah. right? I mean, this matters to all of the people who used to wear Canucks colors uh, and still represent the organization so well in retirement. Uh, Lena, you got to be on Aldi wrangling. Yeah, we got to get all. We got to get all here after whenever there's a break in the, I, I, uh, in the proceedings. We can't let Aldi be this close to a station broadcast. And, I know, and not bring him on at some. When point. I when I went and wrangled Dave, I thought long and hard about it, but Ald looked like he was like locked in conversation. <laughs> where where? So I was like, ah, I'll try later. I'll try later. I don't want to. I don't want to interrupt him. Um, all right, Jamie, okay, I got I got, got you. I got you a gift. Me. I'm very excited. So the first show I did with Josh Ellie Wolf, yes, who filled in admirably. Josh is a great a great young broadcaster. Killed it. Yep. Killed it. Um, you know, he comes on, he's like, welcome to Canucks Talk. And I, like, lost my mind. I was like, wow, wow, what a strong intro. What? I lost my mind. So I decided to ask Dom and Victor, our producer back at the, the station, to make me a supercut of, of Jamie intros. I thought I thought we could play it to welcome you back. I'm sorry for the ambush, but I wanted to play it. Victor, are we ready to go on that? Can we play the Jamie supercut? Hey, what's up? Happy Friday. It's Can- hey, what's going on? It's Canucks Talk. Happy Monday. <laughs> oh, boy. What's going on? Welcome to Canucks Talk here on Sportsnet 650. What's going on? Welcome to Canucks Talk here on Sportsnet 650. I'm- what's going on? Welcome to Canucks Talk here on Sportsnet 650. Hey, what's going on? Happy Friday. Welcome to Canucks Talk here on your home of the Canucks, Sportsnet 650. Welcome to Canucks Talk. A bunch of really good intros. (laughs) A bunch of really strong intros to the show. That's way better than What's Up. Oh, Oh, it's good to have you here, buddy. That is way better. Huge improvement. Welcome to Canucks Talk. (laughs) Come on. You know what, though? I I just wanted to hear it because when I I heard them in quick succession, I thought, you, you know that? professor who walks yeah, into the yeah, yeah, class yeah, yeah. wearing like yeah. a different color shirt but the exact same khakis and says yeah. the exact same he- hello in the exact same way that's every time. Yeah. hello 
That's you. Hello. That's you. You're so consistent. I missed your consistency. Well, here's the thing. It's great to have you I'm back. I'm not going to waste mental energy on coming up with, like, 25 different ways to open the show. <laughs> two is good. Two two is a good. Is, is what's up? For me. What's up or what's going on? I don't need any more in the rotation. This, by the way, this, by the way, is how you know I missed you. Yes. <laughs> Clearly. I uh, know. We haven't done a show together. It, it's like good to week, have you back. So uh, yeah. I'm, I'm stoked to be back on, uh, on my normal sleep schedule. That's always big uh, after you finish the morning show shift. All right. We do have a lot to get into today on the show as as uh, as we said we're here at the canucks alumni luncheon so you'll hear our chat with dave babich at some point in the show probably around the one o'clock uh time slot hopefully we can wrangle a couple of other guests to join us here at some point but uh as i said lots to get on to uh, to get into here today on the show we can start with the game last night canucks lose 5-2 to the flames in calgary and this is an interesting one because the fatigue thing is so real, right? It's undeniably a part of what went into last night and the performance last night. The Canucks obviously didn't play well. They're, you know, full value for a 5-2 loss. And, you know, Talkit after the game spoke about, yeah, they're fatigued, but there are ways you can kind of learn to play tired, things you can do to manage your game and increase your likelihood of earning points, even when the schedule is in a really tough place for you, but I, and, and that's fair. And I completely understand Talkett's point of it. I also just kind of look at it and think, you know what? Eventually the schedule travel, it catches up with every team in the NHL at some point, right? Like you're not going to go a whole season without the schedule catching up to you and start putting you in a really difficult spot and you coming away with a loss at some point. Yeah. Well, you know, the thing is more than anything too, Jamie, is you have to learn to play tired because guess what? There's no relief in sight, right? Like yep. the next week as much as people from outside the market tracking Vancouver's you know PDO mirage and on and on have focused on the difficulty the fact that it's the Sharks twice and we've Mm. laughed about the Sharks twice the Kraken twice um, you know the Flames like this doesn't shape up to be the most difficult part of the schedule in terms of the competition but in terms of the density that they're dealing with Mm -hmm. it's massive right I mean what it was five and eight yesterday which included, you know, uh, games in the Eastern Five time zone. Five different cities, right? Five different yeah. cities, but also three different time zones, mm. right? And then, guess what? They play back-to-back. Um, or, sorry, they play, they play uh, they, fr- Friday and then Saturday and then Monday of next they, week, and then Wednesday in a different time zone, and then back to the Pacific time zone to play uh, back-to-back. So, you know, tonight's a three and four like, that's just as hard as a back-to-back, especially when you're now going to be tomorrow, looking at tomorrow. tomorrow yeah. they, excuse play, me. they play Saturday, Monday, Wednesday, and then Friday, Saturday. My calendar's yeah. all mixed, mixed up because I don't have my usual co-host this week. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but I'll get it together. No, so, but, you know, it was 5-8 and eight last night. Well, it's going to be 6-10 and 10 tomorrow, Yeah. right? And then 7-12, and, then and 12, right? And then 8-14. And then you've got, by, like, by the time you face the Sharks in San Jose, a game that we're all saying – should be relatively easy, you know, that's a 7-11 and 11 stretch. Like, that's a brutal strip of games here. So, yeah, I mean, talk its commentary about needing to learn how to play tired. Like, it's essential. You, you need to figure out how to, um, how to grind out some of these wins because the rest is not coming on the horizon. And, and you know, uh, that said, I don't think we should get too up in arms about this team with the results no. that they've had, dropping one in Calgary – that's a tough game because the I'll Flames an- are better than they've shown. I'll add another element to the fatigue and the schedule aspect of it all. Like, there has to be an emotional 
hangover from the game against the Islanders on Wednesday night at Rogers Arena, which is just this right. incredible, like, you know, Bo Horvat's returning, and there's a lot of probably conflicting and difficult emotions there. You come back, overtime you win it winner. in overtime, yeah. just like this, you know, and it, it's not an excuse, right? Like, part of being a professional athlete is figuring out ways to get through those things. But, again, you have to be realistic. They catch up to even the best teams at some point. So, to me, it's even a little bit more difficult than just – back-to-back, you know, five and eight in a different city because the game you were coming off was so potent, so emotional in that way. I, I think there's some things that, are like, are unreasonable to be concerned about. For example, the Canucks losing to Calgary, um, that, who cares? Like, yeah. you know, you're going to lose games. This team's not going to be, uh, you know, if they maintained their pace, they'd be a 130-point yes. team. Like, guess what? We all know that that's <laughs> going to be difficult. I do think there are some valid things, though, to see in that game and be a little bit concerned. Like, I've been talking all week about how Vancouver hasn't really been controlling play well enough when their top six forwards are on the ice. And we saw that again last night. Like, the Flames had a massive territorial edge when JT Miller and mm-hmm. Elias Pettersson were on the ice and outscored them 3 to nothing. Um, now, they're not going to get outscored 3 to nothing every time. This team still has the outs that are Thatcher Demko's you know, he's going to start 60 games and also is incredible. And also this power play is an absolute mm-hmm. A-bomb. So, you know, there's ways that this team can still grind away wins, even if their, you know, top six isn't filleting opponents on a, on a regular basis in terms of their ter- territorial control. But if this team, if your sights are set at more than the playoff bar, if they're set at Vegas and L.A. at the apex of this division, well, y- you know, right now, over the course of the entire season, Miller and Pedersen have both been outshot on the ice five on five. That's a tough way to live. You're not a contender if that's happening with your top six on the ice. And the trend line on both of those lines is actually like pretty concerning. So I, I think there are things we're beginning to see. The, this club's ability to generate offense five on five. Their ability to control play uh, with their best players on the ice. Um, that are, you know, trending in a direction that I think... And concerning's not the right word because again i still think this team's good Mm -hmm. and has enough strengths to overcome that to some extent i'm not predicting disastrous regression but if not controlling games regularly with your top six on the ice i think it's really hard for us to suggest that you're trending in a direction of being like a legitimate contender or even a legitimate um you know contender for for your division Division crown yeah and it, it has been interesting really the bottom six forward group has been pretty consistently their best lines over the last, what, six or seven games here. And that's with guys coming in and out of the lineup and the lines kind of getting juggled. They've gotten really, really good performances from those two (laughs) bottom lines. But you're right. And, I mean, I think there's been a lot of speculation about – Patterson's health how close to 100 percent yep is he and what is how much does, is that contributing to what we're seeing and then I think the other thing to monitor is with the Miller line you know Miller's form at center and also look Phil DiGiuseppe that's a really great story that's you know is he is he you see what you want in your t- in a top six line, and really that's been their first line for much of the year yeah. in terms of usage and deployment and matching up uh, against the best players. So I think it's just starting to see a little bit of the, okay, hey, if you can eke out those minutes, that's great, but are you going to be in a position to, as you say, be a true contender, contend your division with that kind of with, – with that in your lineup, yeah. right? Well, and, and as much as I think the – you know, as, as much as I think to some extent, I wonder, like, does reality set in in a world where, you know, after the, that run of games, Nashville, St. Louis, right? Nashville again, mm-hmm. uh, the Rangers, Dallas, Dallas, 
right? Like that San Jose is in there, the sort of culminating in, in Edmonton, and this team was playing outrageous hockey. Yeah, you know, and we were on the we were on the shows talking about things like you know JT Miller's defensive play at center, yep. right? Make like wow, what have they stumbled into with this Phil Giuseppe Miller Brock Besser line? And it's like at some point you sort of. If, if things maybe don't make sense big picture, it's worth putting them on watch as, like, are they sustainable? Like, even without the numbers, right? Like, does it make sense that Di Giuseppe, JT Miller at center, and Brock Besser would be one of the NHL's most formidable matchup lines or not, right? Um, you know, and here's the other thing is, as when I watch that line play, I still see them doing a lot of the simple, effective stuff mm. that they've done so well all season. Like, my eyes aren't detecting the same slippage that I'm seeing in the underlying data. And that makes me wonder how much of it is breakouts. Like the Canucks have attacked with five on five, this, or sorry, this five man unit, Heronic Hughes with yep. that Miller D Giuseppe group. And I think as we've seen a little bit of slippage in play, if not results, because the Canucks still have six points from their last five games. So they're still playing well, uh, still a 60 point point clip, a uh, 60% point 60%, clip. Yeah. Um, but I think as we've watched that trend in a certain direction, you know, one thing I've noticed, like, it doesn't feel like Hughes and Hironic have been, like, automatically out of their zone, right? Every time the puck's gone back there the way that they, they were, um, certainly in the, that stretch when this team was playing at their absolute best. Um, and I wonder how much of that in particular is what we're seeing in the underlying numbers is, is maybe some softness or, or a lack of, you know, talk it talked about puck management. And I wonder if that's what he's seeing is that maybe there's just not as much cleanliness in the club's exits, and that's forcing them to spend a little bit more time in their own end and giving up a few more and chances. I wonder how much of that, and now this is just really recent to the last couple of games, but as we start to see the depth issues and the injuries crop up, in particular on the mm. blue line, because I think if you look at forward, the forward depth is in a really, really good spot <laughs> yeah. on this team. Like, Linus Carlson comes Played in well. like, he was good. He was good. Yeah. And, and you know, and you think about the he, other options that we haven't, like Stadnika didn't He does in. some stuff well, right? Well, like, and Carlson, well, we can just touch on Carlson. It's his debut and on his birthday. That's that's awesome. But, like, Carlson, even going back to training camps preseason the last couple of years. Yeah, he's looked good. He has great hands. Yeah. He's great. He has great hands. He's really smart. His, the question has always His area been, game. His, like, if he can get to the battle, yeah. he's going to be hard to knock off the puck, and he's going to be able to make weird good things happen because he can make plays in traffic and he's got size. From a skill perspective, he he's looks there. like an NHL player. Yeah, like he is the there. way he passes, the way he receives passes, the way he handles the puck, and the question was always going to be the skating, right? And I didn't think he looked noticeably out of place from a skating perspective, right? So if he's, if he's taking strides in that area, <laughs> uh, <laughs> yes, taking strides on his stride, yes, yes, yes. Yeah, sorry. Uh, but, I mean, that's a big deal because I don't think the skills he's and hurrying hands, up to get faster. <laughs> I don't think the hands or the or the, the brain has really been in question for him at the no. NHL level. So I thought it was a good, a positive debut. And you just Absolutely. think of the names that, you know, Stanika, Neil Zaman, who's playing really well in Abbotsford, yep. like Arshdeep Baines, who probably the thinking is, hey, let's, let's make sure when he comes up it's to stay, yep. right? But – you know, Sheldon Dries, who played pretty well for this team, he's still like you can go pretty far down finding names that you feel confident bringing up to slot in at forward. The blue line is a different story right now, it's, and that's yeah. where. And you bring up, you know, is it the breakouts affecting what the Miller Besser Di Giuseppe line is doing? And I just do. You, you look at the minutes last night on the blue line. Hughes thrown at Cole Myers, all up above twenty-two minutes. Juleson at fifteen. Friedman down below twelve minutes. Yeah. 
that's a tough way to live and survive and get the best out of your guys for any appreciable length of time in the NHL. Especially when the schedule gets dense. Yeah. And especially when that that, that group, that pairing has already played such a massive minutes burden, right? Like Hughes and Hironik have been regularly up at 25-plus mm-hmm. minutes um, in games this season. So does that become, you know, uh, not like not a liability, but does that become something that ends up, you know, being a factor that you have to effectively contend with? The forward depth being in a good spot is a really good point, by the way. Yeah. I, I actually think when I consider – why I wasn't higher on the Canucks coming into this season, something that, you know, not that I'm capitulating entirely, but, like, certainly I've bumped them up in my estimation by four or five points uh, in terms of what I think their true talent level is at. So that's that's an error on my end, something that I take pretty seriously as someone who, like, forecasts with an embarrassing level of, like, I pride myself on it, right? Um, You know, one of the things that I think I really failed to account for was – was that forward depth was yeah. the fact that there's in a weak link game there are no weak links up front like you know even even if you want to say like a guy like Beauvillier has underwhelmed you like he's a credible he's NHL still, player yeah absolutely it's not you know? like oh should he be in the lineup it's like no he's a he's an NHL guy who's produced at the NHL level for a long time next year if he comes in for one million for some team you know what I'm saying oh, he's yeah. going to be talked about the way we're talking about Pew's suitor yeah you know what I mean like well, is really, this great find really when the team is when the forward group is healthy Okay, who's the worst forward in the lineup? Is it Sam Lafferty? You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah, and maybe. like he's been good. Yeah, Lafferty's right? good. Because like now the Bluger's back and Suter's playing. Like Bluger's, I thought and he's looked really good, right? And and he's, he's, yeah, and he's like, versatile. And he he's a big time floor raiser. You know, right? Just in terms of giving you like another body who can play center, who can like make an impact on wing. Mm-hmm. You know, who at least like plays a speed game that makes everything harder for the opposition. Like Lafferty does all of that. Um, you know, I, I think the. I think the what a great pickup for the Canucks stuff is going to fade over time. But, I mean, he makes sense. He improves this team. He's part of the logic of that no weak links thing that yeah. I think has been a real strength. Also, But think about it. Like, let's say the whole forward group was healthy. What would your fifth line be right now? It would be, like, Niels Amon, Niels Hoaglander, and, like, Jackson Nika or Linus Carlson. That yeah, would be, like, your fifth line. Perfectly Which is, fine. like, okay, that's good. That's totally fine <laughs> as a fourth line. Yeah, exactly. You could slot them in as the fourth line and be like, yeah, that's no problem. Oh, we'll, no. we'll get them out there for a regular shift, right? Absolutely. Well, and... So, one other thing that I've been thinking about a little bit. How important is Connor Garland as an engine, five-on-five five for this team? He's been I actually really think, good. I actually think he's, like, the singular unsung hero of this start. Well, you just look at how the bottom six has performed, especially but, as, but, uh, see, as I the, would say it's not even the bottom six. It's Garland's line. Garland's line. Garland's line, and it, it doesn't matter whether it's been Pew Suter or Teddy Bluger. I really like both players. I don't think that's news. But, you know, like Dakota Joshua is a player I always have really liked because I think he's got, like, better hands in tight than he gets credit for. I like the speed profile. Mm-hmm. I like the defense awareness. He's another guy who I think, if you if you really got into a pinch, could play center for you. I'm surprised he doesn't take more draws, although uh, Bluger and Pews have been winning so many that it makes sense. There is no question who's driving things five-on-five five for that line. It's Garland, and even last night when the team itself struggled and was widely outshot five on five, and the Flames controlled the territorial battle all night long, like just positive play after positive play, stacking them up. I, I mean, I've been really, really impressed. And, and when they sort of put him on that line with Pedersen and Mikheyev mm-hmm. here and there, as Tockett by committee was trying to flesh out his uh, his uh, you know the top end of his forward group, I mean, I thought that was the, that was the 
that line's best shifts came with Garland. He's been good, and it, it, yeah. it's really in the role which it was pretty easy. Like it's, it's what he did for Tockett last season after Tockett came in, yep. right? You put him on the third line, and he's going to drive offense, and he's going to drive that line. He's going to be the guy who's making it work for that line. He just kept on doing it. He's he's been doing it this year. I thought this a little bit against Toronto when I was watching the Toronto game. Um, you know, and and beyond just sort of thinking about it from the big picture of like I'm going to use this game to try and explain what I'm seeing from a regression standpoint a little bit better, which was the column I wrote. Mm -hmm. the, the other thing I did sort of think was, in contrast with what Nylander and Marner, for example, were able to do for the Leafs in that game, and, and Robertson too, to a lesser extent, you know, it, it, it sort of got me thinking, like, with the way that Kuzmenko's played this year, and thankfully he should be in the lineup uh, on, on mm -hmm. Saturday, it looks like. Um, Mikheyev, who's been such a monster defensively, but, you know, isn't the most creative force Offensively, Di Giuseppe, Besser, Garland, Dakota Joshua, on and on. Like, does this team, and, and it's so odd to say because we've talked about the lack of weak links on the forward group, right? We all know that the needs are more pressing on defense. Mm -hmm. But to take that next step as a team is one of the things this club's going to need down the line. Like, a little bit more dynamism, creativity off the wing. And I know that's wild, given how much money is invested there and given how we've taken for granted the fact that this team has enough wingers. But I, I do think, again, as we raise the bar, as this team has earned us raising the bar and sort of judging them on a different standard, judging them based on the standard of, like, can they win the Pacific? Can they be a contender? You know, I, that's something that stands out to me and, and I think, again, magnifies the importance of the LeCaramacchi story that we've seen unfold over the course of this season in the SHL. Uh, I want to get back into that conversation at some point, just about in terms of raising the bar and what this mm. team needs to really take that next step, because I think it ties into the uh, the Pedersen contract discussion, which we're going to get sure. into in the next segment. But I did want to read a couple people texting in about Akito Hirose. Rich in Cloverdale says, uh, hey, guys, do you agree that it's time to get Hirose in the lineup? I'm sick and tired of giving up on puck movers because of their lack of size. And uh, Dino writes, "Is it's a real indication of what the coaching staff thinks of Hirose, uh, that they preferred getting Friedman into play on his wrong side when he'd already been scratched on the right side. Is it size, fitness? It seems logical that Hiroshi could slot in for Susie. What do you guys think? And I should note, uh, Susie was recalled by the team. Carlson goes back sorry, down. Hiroshi. Hiroshi, sorry. Uh, no worries. Hiroshi was... Hiroshi Susie. Yes. Hiroshi Susie. You know, you're doing the, like, the old uh, David Letterman bit. <laughs> yeah. Hiroshi Susie. Meet, meet each other? Yeah. What was it? It was Uma, Uma and Oprah? and Oprah. Oprah, yeah. Classic. <laughs> Such a bad Went man. over well. <laughs> yeah, everyone's like, Everyone loved it. <laughs> <laughs> Crushed it, Dave. I, um, love, I love old Oscar stories, man. Uh, but uh, they send uh, they send Hiroshi. Are you oh, no, no. Are you recall big, Hiroshi. Are you a big Oscars guy? I wouldn't say I'm a big Oscars guy. No? I don't mind it, but I'm not like, ooh, it's appointment viewing. Oh, okay. You know what I did love was when they screwed up and they announced uh, La La Land. That was that fantastic. Was hilarious. That was an amazing an moment. That all Oscars moment. Absolutely. Well, and that also happened with Marissa Tomei. Well, people think. Just never got discovered. Pretty confident. Um, so they bring Hirose back up. Just let me say what I'm going to say. Sorry. They bring Hirose back up. They send Carlson down. That means very strongly suggests Kuzmenko is going to be good for Saturday. Yes. I did think it was a little – I thought it was a little surprising, one, that Hirose came up over Willannon. Now, Talkett mentioned that Willannon was 50 Might be banged up. Willannon yep. maybe tweaked something, so that kind of explains that. And I was a little surprised that Hirose didn't go into the lineup, knowing what we know – about Rick Tockett's preference for three lefties, three righties on the blue I, line. I don't see how you take Friedman out of the lineup. 
I think he's, he's been the low minutes guy, and he was I know. scratched already. But he's done enough, in my mind. Like, Hirose's hasn't produced at the AHL. No, he hasn't. You know, like, I don't know. The only the only really credible option I think they should be trying here is Willannon. And and my guess is is that Willannon's too banged up, and yeah. we'll, we will see that eventually. It does feel like Willannon Myers. It smooths things over a lot I'm if like, you bring Willannon in. I'm here for Willannon Myers. Like, I'm not just, like, Willannon Myers might help this team get through. Like, I'm here for what Willannon and Myers can do together based off of what we saw last season. Like, I think Willannon's good. I think he can help move the puck. He didn't deserve to be on this team based on his training camp. He wasn't at his best, but he's a really good player. Uh, I mean, I'm. I think I think it's just a matter of time. Hirose, like I don't know. You know, Rick Tockett mentioned his fitness being an issue at training camp. He struggled immensely in mm-hmm. the preseason with the opportunities he's got, and he hasn't popped to this point in the American League. Like I understand that people were excited about him this summer, but at some point, if you're an NHL team, you can't base lineup decisions off of like small sample priors and the hope of a fan base uh from the summer like i I mean for me anyway i think friedman has earned uh, like a few bad games based on what he did for that seven or eight game stretch playing second pair minutes with cole sure but juleson then becomes an option right like they were both in the lineup so i think that's the surprising thing i don't have a problem with friedman staying in I, i was a little surprised that both of them were in the lineup and i do wonder now I don't know if it's going to be Saturday, but if there is another game where managing the defensive minutes becomes a little bit of an issue, maybe breaking the puck becomes a little bit of an issue, I wonder if they do give Hirose a look at some point. Just because, as you said, like moving the puck, breaking out, that's the area of need. That should theoretically be where he can help you. But I also think we're going to see Will Landon at well, some point and, here for sure. And you are you are coming up against Kraken, Avalanche, Kraken again. Mm-hmm. San Jose's thrown into the mix, but let's just ignore them. Um, you know, three of the next five games are against teams that have a lot of speed on the wing, right? Like teams that forecheck hard with a lot of speed on the wing. Um, so if you if you did see Hirose's like puck moving ability and skating is a real plus that this blue line needs, now's the time to see it. We will take a break here. We are live at the Canucks Alumni Luncheon here at the Hotel Vancouver. It's good to have you back, bud. It's fantastic to be back, despite the fact that you're trying to suggest I I don't do a good what's job up? intro in the show. What, you up? just have a well-known what's up bias. Yeah, it's true. See, Halford and Bruff, they never rip me for something like, what's up? <laughs> they accept uh, me for the broadcaster I am. I liked Bruff being like, Halford and Jamie are getting along too well. Like, I'm jealous. <laughs> and it's like, it's like Jason. The trick is not getting along with Alfred. <laughs> the trick is getting along with you, bud. Uh, with me? <laughs> no, 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 I thought you were going to say the trick. No, no, is, yeah. you're you're yeah, you're yeah, yeah, you're yeah. the Halford of our show. It's true. Halford should it's like be, getting along with Jamie is easy. Halford should be more worried than I get along with Bruff. Hundred percent, right? Because he's like, hey, that's my thing. Also, just I like, like I'm worried about Josh getting along with you. <laughs> I like doing your show, and it occurs to me that really what happens when I go on Halford and Bruff in the morning is that Halford turns off and Bruff just asks. Oh, hundred percent, hundred percent. So like Halford's like, I was looking at your feed. It's like, bud. Yeah, I might I might just have to like tell uh, a dog that uh, not don't book me unless Bruff's there. Bruff has just <laughs> such a burning desire to talk about the Canucks in a way. Like obviously Halford likes talking about the Canucks, but For Bruff sure. it like it burns in him. So yeah. whenever there's a Canucks guest, 
like you, Batch, whoever. Right. Broth is just like, I'm going to ask the question. Like, I want to ask. I have so much I want to talk about right know, now. You know, and I was like pretty tired, but maybe next time I come on and it's uh, and there's no Broth, I'm just going to like talk Leeds football or like EPL <laughs> betting strategies or like I'm just going to start throwing curveballs at Halford to keep him engaged. All right. We got to take a break. We got lots to get to. Some fascinating reporting from Elliot Friedman and Rick Dollywell about the uh, Elias Pedersen contract negotiations, which we can dive into next. Keep sending your text as well. 650-650. It is Canucks Talk here on Sportsnet 650. What's up? Welcome back to Canucks Talk here on Sportsnet 650. Jamie Dodd, Thomas Trans, live from the Mobile Kintech Studio here at the Vancouver Canucks Alumni Luncheon at the Hotel Vancouver. 650, 650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. Dunbar Lumber with three stores to serve you in Ladner on Bridge Street or Dunbar Lumber Express at Ladner Center or Arbutus in Vancouver online at DunbarLumber.com. Uh, it's been a, a whirlwind week for the Canucks, Drancer. Obviously, with the Bo Horvat return, you know, just that game. I don't want to say capping off an incredible start, right? Because I think it's a little bit late to be talking about the start. But really, when you win that game and you're first place in the Western Conference and you have the three leading scorers in the NHL, like that is just such a magical uh, moment. And then underlying all of this, have all the good things happening on the ice, what's really gotten going this week as well is reporting and discussions about the Elias Pettersson contract negotiations, contract extension. What's it going to look like? Is it close? When's it going to happen? And all of that. And it's really been the first, uh, the first tangible news on that front and certainly good news on that front that we've had for a little bit here. And Yesterday and today, there's been uh, some some more interesting reporting on that subject from Elliot Friedman on 32 Thoughts, uh, as well as Rick Dollywall locally here. And there's a bunch of different clips, you know, Friedge on 32 Thoughts that I know has been played on the station, Dollywall with Halford and Bruff, Dollywall on his show. So rather than try to kind of line it up all together and play it for you, I'm going to try to collect the major takeaways from the reporting of Elliot Friedman and Rick Dollywall. And I think the one getting the most attention is Friedman talking about on 32 Thoughts how when you look at the past history of Elias Pettersson's agents and what they've tried to do, it's specifically Owen Power, and aiming for a seven-year deal for Owen Power because it would make him a UFA 28-29 rather than when he was 30, could that point in the direction of Elias Pettersson going for a significantly shorter-term deal than the max eight-year term, three years, four years, something like that. Dollywall uh, adding that he's heard that that could be a possibility as well. And I also thought it was interesting that Dollywall and Halford and Bruff today says, you know, I don't think this is a deal that's happening anytime soon. There's still a lot to work out, but it does look like it's going to happen. It's going in a very positive direction. So the three-year, three-, four-year deal thing is really, really interesting. Like, really, really interesting for a, a variety of of different reasons. What's your reaction just quickly here to all of this uh, this reporting that's come out over the last 24 hours or so? Yeah, I mean, so I've got a big picture take and yeah. I've got a small picture take, okay. uh, uh, like a narrow specifics take. I'll start with the micro. Like, I'll start with the micro take on Pedersen at, at a short-term clip. <clears throat> because of the way that this club built 
right? Because they eschewed longer-term commitments um, with Pedersen in particular, but sort of across the board. Because Hughes signed, you know, a longer-term bridge, but, like, not a max-term bridge. Um, Demko they went long-ish with. Like, one of the edges of going shorter-term with Pedersen is that you'll manage the cap it. You'll keep it down Mm -hmm. by a million or two. Now, that matters because, I mean, this team's trying to effectively manufacture, like, a competitive window that they fundamentally compromised because they lacked the discipline to align things properly to to crest in Pedersen and Hughes' prime years. This isn't an Alvin Rutherford commentary. This is what Alvin and Rutherford inherited. Mm -hmm. This is partly the reason why I've been agitating for a rebuild was I, I didn't see a path to this team leveling up sufficiently to, to win big, to meaningfully compete um, around this core group. Now, they've done really well to outperform my expectations this season. I don't think that should change. The, I don't think that changes, frankly, like the fundamental analysis, which is that it's going to be really tough to have enough talent around your best players to win big. Um, a short-term deal, though, and the cap savings there, like that gives you a, a Vesna level goaltender based on how he's performed this season at $5 million. It gives you a Norris candidate defenseman at 7, seven you know, yeah. and, and if Pedersen on 3 comes in at 10-5 versus 12-5 for 8, that $2 million in savings could matter, especially as the OEL, extent, um, the OEL buyout becomes more cumbersome, especially as, you know, uh, Miller's, Miller ages, right? And, and yep. statistically speaking, this is most likely to be his efi- most efficient year on this next seven-year contract that he signed um so in terms of giving you like a two or three-year runway where you can feel confident that you have elite players at below a below market clip like Pedersen for me on a short-term deal fits in with that um getting him signed matters more to me than at this point getting him yeah like you want max term when a guy's 22 when a guy's 25 signing him for three years or four years as far as I'm concerned that contains zero of those high risk years in their 30s um you know you you may be in a position where you have to take on more inefficient years should you want to keep him beyond that but you know i i think it's totally fine to go short term with petterson and in fact the internal logic of how this team is constructed and where they're at i actually think makes it a, a probably a better approach than, than a max term deal. The thing I would like the most about a short term deal is we would have absolute 100% clarity about the direction of this team, what they're going to do, and in fact, what they should be doing in the near term. Yeah. Right? Because at that point, and I was talking about this a, a little bit earlier. A couple weeks season, ago, yeah. Right? But like this whole idea of trying to patiently build a winner, I don't know, but that, like, that seems so real so phenomenally difficult from this point on that's what you if you sign Elias Pedersen to an eight-year deal you're trying to patiently build a winner right you're saying hey okay we have him under contract we're gonna now. maximize our our kicks at the can for these eight yep. years right the way the team is set up and with Quinn Hughes in particular three more years after this one the way he's playing on that cap hit that's a phenomenal asset to have so did, I can did see, you see Chris Tan have called him the best player in the NHL yeah. right now and you know I don't. I don't think there's a lot to quibble with there. That's he's been the best skater this season, and it, I don't even think it's that. Close. He's been incredible, and you have him at less than eight million dollars, yeah, right? And everyone ludicrous. looks back and like, hey, the Nathan McKinnon contract. 
It's not the same length, but like Quinn Hughes at that cap hit, the way he's playing, yep. that it's in that conversation. It's Absolutely. just an incredible asset to build around. So when you have that, and then you also have, like we're not talking about signing 21-year-old Elias Pettersson to eight years, right? That, go nuts. We're talking about signing 25-year-old Elias Pettersson to potentially eight years or a max term. You have JT Miller as another key player who's going to be in his 30s. Like, realistically, when are you most likely to be a contender? Is it in the next three years yeah. or is it in the five years after that? Yeah. It's the next three years. It's right now. It's right now. So yeah. why not acknowledge that? And part of accepting the short-term deal, I think, is the team acknowledging that, that like, hey, we can use the, those cap savings in those three years are going to matter more to us than the cost certainty of having Patterson locked up for the yep. ensuing five years after that. Yeah. No, I, I, I don't think, like, I want to be clear. It's not an ideal spot to be in, right? Like, it's, it's a bevy of mistakes that have brought them here, but given the circumstances they find themselves in, it's at least a sensible approach. I still think getting max term for an elite player is better, right? Like, having Elias Pettersson... You know, not just mining his 20s, but mining all of his prime seasons uh, in one fell swoop, I think is well worth doing if you can, especially if the cap hit is workable. But I certainly don't have any, like, big problem. This is not like if they were signed. This is not like the time they signed Pedersen to a bridge in the first place. And I was like, man, or Besser to a bridge. And I was like, yeah. oh, boy. I, I mean, I those those sorts of deals I really the, dislike. This one true, I think is reasonable. The, the true time where you have to go long term is coming out of the ELC. Yes, right. Third contract, it becomes a different story with elite talent. A, exactly. Yeah. There's there's a completely different consideration. And Mike, the urologist. Uh, well, first of all, Nate from Comox says if PD signs a three year deal that lines up with Hughes, uh, these next few years better be fun. And Mike, the urologist from Brockville says if they go short with PD, they're going to swing hard on upgrading this roster over the next couple of years then, right? Like expect Trader Jim to go nuclear. And that's part of what I mean about the absolute clarity about the direction and the strategy of this team. It's like if you let's say yeah. it's not we're not saying it's confirmed that it's only going to be three years or only going to be four years. Right. There's other ways this could go. But let's just say hypothetically that Elias Pettersson signs a three-year extension, lines his deal up with Quinn Hughes. There is no future that should be off the table at that point. Mm. Like, you are absolutely all in. First-round picks, Valander, LaCaramacchi, Brustevich, anyone. It is how do we get impact players in right now that are going to help us for this three years. And I would even say, it, let's say it is a three-year extension. That means this season represents would represent a quarter of, of the time you have with Elias Patterson and Quinn Hughes under contract. Like, you got to go hard this year, too. Like, at that point, you are all in. You're about as all in as you can be if you know you have those you're, three you're years. You're quickly talking me out of uh, the short-term <laughs> logic just because I think that's a that's a big whopping bet uh, on this team given their 105 PDO, given the way that their top six has struggled to control play on aggregate, given how, rely how reliant they've been on goaltending in the power play, right? Because this is the thing, like – what happens as the season goes along to penalties? They disappear. Drop off. What happens well, in, the in the playoffs? playoffs. Well, no, but the, it happens during the regular season, and then it happens in the playoffs. Early in playoff series, there's lots of penalty calls. Mm -hmm. Once you get to the pointy end of every playoff series, there aren't. Like, if you can't manufacture five-on-five -five offense reliably, you're going to struggle to win games when it matters, both down the stretch run of the season and beyond October hockey. Um, so, you know, going all in based off of what we've seen in – the first 16 games like that should make people very queasy i think that but i think make it would be look, queasy i think you're i so, think you so, open uh, up doing this year but then it really becomes about the three years well, well, where you're like okay how can we add the impact piece for sure maybe it's a guy who still has two years left on his deal yeah, it's, after it's this one or another something like heronic that. type right yeah. i get i see what you're saying the uh 
So here's here's where you get to the other side. Okay, so I talked about my micro take, which mm-hmm. is that I don't have a problem, at, at, you know, in terms of how I look at it with going short on um, on Pedersen. Here's the big picture takeaway, though. You've got this dream start. Use it, right? Mm. Like there's there's an element to which when things are good around a hockey team, when everyone's showing up to the rink and saying this is the most fun I've ever had playing hockey, that is in your favor, right? Like that is the time to strike with extension talks for a player who had preferred to wait as recently as two months ago. Yeah. Like that's that's when you want to strike with Heronic too. I saw Alan Walsh was in Vancouver. Interesting, right? If you get off to a start like this, use it in terms of leveraging your potentially short-term perception among players as like a destination team, a team on the rise, something you want to be part of, right? That doesn't necessarily last. I'm not – this isn't even being critical. This is just saying, like, when Florida no, made – Success the, is fleeting, man. When success I was, is fragile. When I was down with the Panthers, right, they made the playoffs in 2016, and within four months, Ekblad, Huberto, Barkov, all, all locked up, right? And then things went badly from there for a few years. But guess what? Those those guys were locked into below market deals, and the and the, sorry, and the Panthers were able to, you know, extract value from Barkov and Ekblad at below market rates when their team got good, and control the Huberto thing to upgrade their team further uh, down the line. Like, it, it, same with the Trocheck contract. It, the Trocheck was done in that same time frame as well. So when you have this wind at your back, use it. Right, like that's what the Canucks should be doing with this dream start is making sure to use it to to secure Pedersen's future. Maybe even making sure to use it to get the best deal you can find on on Philip Peronik. Um, you know, that's that's right now. The the double edged sword of this is don't be fooled yourself. Right, right. Don't be fooled yourself. Right, like I am really impressed with this Canucks team. They are better than I expected them to be. Um, in a lot of ways, right? There, there are there are things that I didn't have good feel for the way that I have in previous seasons in, in breaking down where this roster was at. But I need to see more. I'm not confident yet about this, but I'm not seeing a contender profile from this team. I'm just not. And I, I think you need to be really sober about the possibility that, you know, this team does not match their form in the first 16 games at any other point over the course of the season because that's a that's a absolute probability based off the fact that only seven other teams in the last 15 years have run this hot for this long uh, in terms of how they've outperformed expected results john shorthouse you gonna grab a mic or what no no (laughs) (laughs) shorty shorty complimenting thank you god's work on the the morning show <laughs> the cameo from the great John Shorthouse. I'm, surpri- I'm surprised he didn't sneak sneak a 69 reference that, or a 420 reference. What he got on the mic, but that's as close. That's as close as uh, as you'll get to hearing, to hearing John Shorthouse on, on our show. 650. <laughs> oh no, on 650. Well, period. he's been on 650 in the past, but yeah, not for a while. Uh, but uh, always nice for Shorty to drop in. Um, I have no idea what I was just about to say, but uh, this Leaf Hater Steve texts in. Uh, you know, if Patterson signs short term, we won't be able to re-sign him after that because he's going to want a max deal then. You know some team will offer him a seven- to eight-year deal at 28 or 29. That's not good. I mean, that's thinking a little far down the road, but that is what it sets up. Like, it sets up the the deal that Jonathan Huberto is on right now. You yeah, know what I mean? Or the, one the JT signed, Miller deal. Yeah, the one signed at 29 where yeah. you're like, ooh, uh-oh, <laughs> right? Which is another reason why I don't have a huge problem going three or four years. Like, there's yeah. something to be said for – 
oh, you want to be out of the deal when you're 29? Like, okay, that works for us too. Totally. Right? That's, and so <laughs> that's part of why I don't have a That's the Sir Alex deal. Ferguson thing. Sir Alex mm. Ferguson basically never kept guys beyond their, their prime seasons unless they were like gigs, skulls, keen culture guys. You know, I mean, that makes a ton of sense to me, especially in a hard-capped league like the NHL. I've always thought it made a ton of sense. Let, let other teams take those risks. The heroic one is really interesting. Let's say, again, this is all hypothetical, and I don't want to say, like, there's no chance that there's a seven- or eight-year deal in the offing. I just think it's really interesting to think about what a short-term deal would mean if Elias Pettersson goes that route. The heroic one is really interesting to me because he's having such an incredible start. No and, kidding. Well, and, and in ways that translate directly at arbitration, right? Yes. Points, minutes, like, substantively and quantitatively, his start has been a dream. And that is all in his favor. Mm-hmm. This He's is a massive, this is, huge leverage. And you, this is the old butter your own bread thing. But you talk Man. about striking while the iron is hot with Pedersen. You know, Pedersen, not that it's been completely, obviously, smooth sailing in his Canucks career, but drafted by the team, you know, developed, debuted here. Like, he has established a legacy here. This is Ronick's first season. Does does striking while the iron hot carry the same weight for a player who's played what twenty games well, for the team as it does for a player in Elias Pettersson's situation who's built a relationship with the organization in the city? I mean, there's a different balance of leverage too because Heronic. Uh, well, I guess they both have arbitration rights, yeah. but P- Pettersson is doing things that are consistent with what he's done in the past, whereas right. Heronic is not. Um, now, like fundamentally fundamentally what i mean by the winds at your back i mean players the number one thing they want you can talk as much as you want about weather tax rates media attention all those things because they all matter Mm. everything matters Mm -hmm. at the margins but the biggest difference and you can tell when guys are signing on july 1 every year the teams that play the premiums are the teams that are rebuilding and are far away from winning and right now the canucks can look you know look a player in the white of their eye and say, we are going to win. We're going to go to the playoffs. And and their players will believe them, right? Because they are having a blast. You can tell. Like, they believe in this. So that's a huge point of leverage in your favor, and that's uh, and that's the sort of wind at the back at your back that this organization that, you know, again, hasn't hosted a playoff. That it will change probably this April. But, you know, if, if they hadn't made the playoffs this year, it would have been 11 years away from from hosting a playoff game in this building. You know, right now, anyway, this team has the ability to tell guys we are building something that you want to be a part of and have that be believed in a way that hasn't regularly been true. But let's say it is a short-term deal with Elias Pettersson. Does that, like, do you almost want to go short with Hronik at that point as well, right? Like, at that, you know what I mean? Like, at that point, aren't you just so focused on the next three years? Are you even prioritizing locking up your number two defenseman for a lot of years beyond that. And then from Hronick's perspective, though, because Pedersen's in this very rarefied air of players who can very confidently be like, yeah, I'll take a short-term deal because then I'm going to cash in at my next opportunity. Hronick's been amazing. I don't know if he's in that class. Yeah, right? he, he t- might want And typically security. what we see is NHL players, when they can get term, they want to go as long-term now, as possible. But the thing is also is with superstar players, when you're talking about eight years, you know what I mean? They're – their logic is, well, I'll still be worth this. I, you know, what I'm forfeiting with this security is the ability to take one last huge kick at the can yeah. in, in a totally different cap universe in three years. Like that opportunity cost is high with players like Hronik, You know, you might be able to bring the cap number down by offering that security. Right. Right. So there's also a there's also a different um, 
Almost like the Uyghur deal. Yeah, yeah. It's you know different I mean? balance of like incentives. He was like so good last night, by the way. Honestly, if they sign Pedersen short term. No, get, Mackenzie Uyghur. I know, I know. But okay. go get Mackenzie Uyghur. Huh? That's what I was. I know I brought this up a few weeks ago. Yeah, yeah. You were like, ooh, I don't know. But I was thinking, because I was thinking he's about the sick. Pedersen short term thing and I was watching Uyghur last night. You could night. see that goal, though, scored when he's on the left side of the ice. Yeah. Like, he really, he really is an LD. If you want the best of Mackenzie Uyghur you are bringing in a right-handed LD, and you have to be aware of that. Like, you're not bringing him in to do with Hughes what Hironic has done with Hughes. You're bringing him in to stabilize a different pair. Or to play with Hironic. Or to play with Hironic on yeah. a sick second pair. I was just thinking because, the, you know, as soon as you're talking Patterson three years, it's okay, how do we add, how do we juice this team in the short term? Yeah. And I was watching him play, and I was like, I don't think it would take a lot, given the contract and the term. Yeah, he's good. It's like, oh, boy. Oh, boy. That he's would, be, good. I'm, I'm that would be an interesting one. Um... This text comes in. Hronik is still in lust with Vancouver. He has no idea how bad things can get. Lock him up <laughs> right, right now. Uh, and I just think the Hronik thing is just a fascinating dynamic. If, if the Pedersen, when, if and when the Pedersen extension gets done, I'm really curious to well, see where it goes. With some Hronik. really interesting commentary in this vein, too, uh, from Chris Tanev um, on the 32 Thoughts podcast, which I highly recommend everyone listen to since it's a Sportsnet property. And also they do great work. And Tanev obviously is fascinating. And he discusses leaving Vancouver and, like, that was the last time. That was the last time that this organization had winded his back mm. and completely and completely duffed it. You know? Do not waste. Do not waste a hot start like this. And if you can both not waste it in your favor and not buy in too much to it and still respond soberly to it, not be the one who gets tricked yourself, man, that's, that's the sort of moment that can alter a franchise's trajectory. It's Canucks talk here at the Vancouver Canucks alumni luncheon at the Hotel Vancouver. 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. Final hour of the show coming up. Hit us up with your texts, uh, and we will hear from our interview earlier. Before the show got on the air, we talked with former Canucks defenseman Dave Babbage. So we'll hear that. Uh, hopefully we can track down another guest or two to make a cameo appearance. Lots more on the other side here on Canucks talk. Sportsnet 650. The words always throw me off at this one. Always unexpected when it hits there. Moment of panic that something's gone wrong uh, with the show. It is Canucks Talk here on Sportsnet 650. Jamie Dodd, Thomas Trance here, live from the Vancouver Canucks Alumni Luncheon at the Hotel Vancouver. Canucks Talk brought to you by Avenue Machinery and Douglas Lake Equipment. Be a champion on the worksite. Find them together online at DLEAMC.com. We are live from the mobile Kintech studio. Kintech Footwear and Orthotics, Canada's favorite orthotics provider. Supported by over 2,500 five-star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at Kintech.net. 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. And there is uh, still lots to get into. Lots of interesting texts coming in about the Pedersen and, uh, and also... Philip Hronick contract situation, so we can get into some of that. Of course, the Canucks are back home to play Seattle tomorrow at Rogers Arena. We can look ahead to that one, too. But uh, as mentioned, we are here at the Canucks Alumni Luncheon. Earlier before the show, we had the pleasure to sit down with uh, former Canucks defenseman Dave Babbage, of course, longtime NHL player and always a, a great opportunity to chat with Dave Babbage. So we talked to him just before the show 
got on the air. Uh, a couple of uh, mic issues during the course of this one, but uh, we cleaned it up as best we could. So bear with us here. Uh, it gets better towards the end of the interview. But here is Dave Babich, and we started off by asking him how he's doing today. I'm doing good. Doing good. We heard at the luncheon, beautiful day outside. You know, it's, it's a big day for, for our alumni bunch. For sure. Yeah, just tell us a little bit about what this event means, and, and more than this event, really, just how active and what a big part of uh, the community and the kind of the team, the alumni group is for you, for you. Well, first of all, the, the luncheon is one of our, our big fundraisers throughout the year. We we have a few of them, but this is this is one where you know we can get a lot of people in, you know, in the, in the, in the same you know same room. Uh, we got Finn here. I, don't know. I, I was wondering what that smell was. It, was, it smells like herring or something, anyway. <laughs> or whatever he's eating. <laughs> well, he's enjoying the lunch. So he's yeah, pickled. yeah. There you go. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, the bar's right there. Um, no, so so this is, it is one of our big fundraisers. We're we're usually uh, you know doing north of we probably net over hundred thousand dollars, and you know it's it's big for us because um, you know first of all we we try to do as much in the community as we can. You know we. You know, Canuck Place, Canucks Autism Network, you know, Boys and Girls Club. We, all our scholarships that we do throughout, you know, BC for for boys and girls, you know, that continue in, in hockey and, and um, education. So, so yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a big deal for us. But, it, you know, it's, it's the same thing. We, we don't – these functions are kind of spread out throughout the year. And so a lot, a lot of the guys that, that come in for this, our alumni and our membership, you know, we don't see for three or four months at a time. So it's kind of nice to touch base again and – you know, it's kind of our sanctuary to, you know, kind of visit and have a couple of beers with, with each other. And, you know, of course, the, well, the beer, we don't have to, but it, it helps. It helps. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Dave, you're all wearing matching plaid today. Can yeah. You, can you give me the uh, Coles notes on that? Well, it, it almost looks like we're we're all going to Stanley Park to chop some trees down. I don't, I don't know what the heck it, but, you know, it was more just to kind of identify the alumni. I, 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 I was kind of on peripheral of the committee, but I, I, I wasn't part of picking these. But they, they're actually very nice. Yeah. You know, I, uh, I know, you know, in past years, sometimes they, they would bring in the European cut, and, and I'm not as small as I used to be. <laughs> and they were a little tight, but uh, the, these are good. These, these are actually really nice. Did you ever wear a European cut, Dave? Uh, no. Well, you know what? I, I did, but um, that's when I was younger, and I, I was maybe a little dumber, I guess. I don't know. Well, you look great in the shirt. Well, thank you. Um, yeah, you'd, you'd fit in well on Main Street. And uh, anyway, wanted to ask you, because this team, what we're seeing from this Canucks team right now, especially how their defensive play is leveled up, it is standout. And you were, you know, on a short list of best lockdown defensemen this franchise has ever seen. When you watch this Canucks team play, what are you seeing in terms of how hard other teams have to work to generate those scoring chances? Well, well I think... Uh you know, defense—it's always been a team defense, and, and I think if everyone's on the same page, it, it certainly works a lot better. I know I was lucky enough here for, for most part. I was—I played with Gerald Diddick, and you know, Gerald's a, a tough bugger, but could play the game too. And and we we just got along so well, so we kind of we, we clicked there. And it's, you know, it's no different than you know what, what's going on with Hughes and and you know some, some of the others, Coles there. I mean, they they brought in some guys that. Not that anyone else didn't know what they were doing, but but these other guys have the experience that they're used to kind of enhancing their partner's play or or just to read off them. So there's uh, the communication is just a little bit easier. Um, you know, I mean, they 
Ducks have always had some good young defensemen that could always play the role. But but problem with that is you're when you're interchanging things, mm. you just don't get used to playing with somebody. And hopefully there's some continuity there. And I think that's what's happening. And like I said, the forwards forwards are coming back and doing their job. So so when a goalie only has to make one save. Makes it a hell of a lot easier for him, you know. You use the word continuity there. How important is that for a whole team, but specifically for defense partners as well, to kind of learn how to play together and read off of each other over the course of a season, and then multiple seasons getting a chance to stick with each other? Well, I think it's great. I, I, I think it's you know it's the same with and now nowadays it's a little bit different. Somebody has a bad practice and they might not be playing the next game, which is ridiculous, I think. But in saying that, if you know that you're going to be playing with a certain person every time or just about every shift and, and things do change but but if you if you know you're doing it that's how you prepare and if you prepare like that every game you're, you're just going to get better and better as a group and I, I think that's what's happening I think there's um, you know there, I mean there are some interchangeable parts on, on every team now but but I think it's you know that they minimized it a little bit and I think more than than past years so I think that's what's happening you were a really prolific offensive defenseman, especially early in your career. What was the process like as you, you know, got farther on in your career and got more experience in the NHL of learning to balance offensive production from the blue line while also making sure you were taking care of the defensive responsibilities of the position? Well, first of all, I, when I got drafted to Winnipeg, I, it was the worst team in the league. So, <laughs> well, so what, what they told me, and, and I and in junior I was I was fairly offensive. But it wasn't that wasn't my whole game, but but they, you know, we were a weak team, put it that way. And so Bill Sutherland was our defensive coach, and he just says, just go every time you get a chance, try to create something. And so you do. But I was I was the worst minus in the league, and I, there was guys that were close to me. But 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 that's what that leads to. If and I think. Um, you know, if, if, if I was in a, on a different team, maybe a little stronger team, I would have learned the defensive side a little quicker. So it was easy to be offensive. It really was. But, but you know, now you're counting on everyone else to be backing you up. And if there's a breakdown, you know, you're you're screwed, basically. But but then, it you know, it took a few years. And, and it's just like with, with Hughes. Not that I'm comparing myself with Hughes, but I, I could play too. But if we did some of the stuff he was doing now, we'd never play. Right. <laughs> you know, because they, they would bench you and <clears> – <throat> But that's just the way the way it was, um, you know. You you could get your points, but but there's more to the game than that. Now, I mean, he's doing such an excellent job. I, I think, you know, his, his best defense is having the puck, mm-hmm. you know, controlling the puck, controlling the play. And I think he's not that he couldn't do it before, but I think he's learning more that 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 he can do that, and that that's probably his best ad, asset defensively. He's hit such a high level, and you've seen you know, 40 years of history for this team up close. What are you seeing from Quinn Hughes? Is this the best defenseman we've ever had in this city? <laughs> there's been a lot of defensemen through yeah. here. You know what? He's certainly right there. There's there's no doubt. It, and you know what? But, you know, there's lots has to happen to be categorized that way. But but he's terrific. I, I love watching him. I, to be honest with you, when he first started, I'm thinking, oh, God, he's going to get plastered on the boards. Yeah, you know, and thank God there's not, not the hitting there used to be, and and not that there isn't, but yeah, you know he's now he's just skating out of it. Yeah, you know, you know before, you know he would kind of just pass the puck and jump out of the way, but now he's just he's just skating out of it. And what <laughs> you can see, guys, it's almost like guys, you know, in basketball when they make a quick move and, you know, the guy falls over or slips. Yeah, <laughs> that's kind of what's happening. Yeah. and it's, 
you, you don't see it very often. And uh, now he's certainly a special player and, and fun to watch. I mean, I, you know, I, uh, you know, as as a past player, you know, we're fans too, and we we just want, you know, the guys to do as as well as they can, because we were there once, and you know, you hope everyone's everyone's got your back and and cheering you on. Yeah, who knows what's going to happen? What a, what a terrific start! Yeah. Well, and as you mentioned, teams off to a great start. Just give us a sense from a player's perspective in this city specifically. How much fun is it when things are going well and the city's getting behind you? And because we're feeling it, right? We're getting people texting in and talking to us about how excited they are to be watching the team right now. What's that experience like as a player when things are rolling and you can feel the city getting behind you? Well, you know what? It's it's certainly contagious because and you know it's no different than losing. You know, you start losing, it is so hard to get out of that rut. But it's the same with winning. You you think you're invincible. You think whatever you can you do, even if you do mess up you're going to come back and it's not a problem you're going to you're going to you're going to score a few goals get back in the game and it and it's that's what they're doing like it's it is amazing i know even in the 90s when i was here mm-hmm. we had some really good starts to the season you know where where we were like top in the league but this is this is good especially this day and age because you know i i think they're catching teams by surprise so we'll see what see what happens you know down the road when, when they're not when, when they get their second second you know trip yeah. through the through the league but but you know when they're going with that much confidence it's not going to matter what the other teams do it's it's going to matter what they do in those with those early 90s teams you had fantastic regular seasons you know 91 92 92 93 and you know second round proved to be difficult those were you know good jets teams and, and on and on that you guys ended up bumping into but the year you break through and make the finals it was actually a slower season for you until everything sort of clicked yeah. after the trade deadline when, when you think back how how much fun is it to have a team that's like slowly getting better and growing and then taking your shot and how how much time does it take do, do, do you need those few years before you figure out how to win when it counts well you know what i i think we we could have had better teams 91 92 yeah 93 before our run um but it's it, you know a lot of it's just luck, a bounce here or there. Yeah. L- look what happened. I mean, when we go to the, we, we had an unbelievable team, and we should have had a chance to, to get to the finals. Yeah. You know, but you know you play Calgary, who's yeah. number number one team, a couple of overtime winners, and you know now we start rolling. Now we now we think you know yeah who's going to stop us? <laughs> um, but it, but but I think you know if if you peak too early, mm. you know, or if, or if a coach just just grinds it out the whole year. There's not much left at the end of the year, and that, and there's there's evidence of that throughout many coaches that were supposed to be good, and but they just grind their best players and and they they can't produce after. So I think the you know that buildup if you can if you can I mean it's not it's a recipe but very hard to make right. But if if you can build build up towards the end of the season, get in the playoffs, get a good position, and then keep rolling. I think those are the teams that. You know, that yeah. have a really good chance to make the finals. As you said, a lot of it is about coaching and how the coaches use the players throughout the course of the season. But from a player's perspective, how do you manage the physical grind but also the emotional ups and downs? As you said, it's really easy to feel really, really good when things are going well. How do you make sure, you know, I know talk it always talks about no peaks, no valleys. How do you do that as a player? <laughs> it's impossible. <laughs> you know, but you, you can manage it, but it, it is impossible. You, you know, you're only human. Yeah. You know, it's, it, it's, it's no different than... Like I remember when when I played, I I never read the paper. The only time I'd, I'd, I'd 
read the paper. Some friend brought it over and said, well, look what they said about you. And I'm like, I, I really don't care. But now now all of a sudden, you know, it's there. Yeah. Uh, whether it was good or bad, it didn't didn't really matter. Um, and, you know, I was lucky. I had a family to go back to. And, you know, you just you do your family things. You don't worry about what's going on around around the team, especially, you know, at, on off days. Um, but, yeah, the peaks and valleys, it's, it's a tough one. Nobody can say that they – you know they can manage it perfectly because it's it's impossible but like i said if you have good teammates and you know good management and, and direction it can minimize that and um yeah i i i think the yeah i don't know it's it, it is impossible but i think the teammates are really important too because mm-hmm. if everyone's working together even if somebody screws up like i said everyone's got your back uh, you know after that so Dave, we really appreciate the time. Uh, we'll let you get back to mingling and catching up here. Thanks so much for doing yeah. this. Enjoy the luncheon and uh, have a great day. Well, thanks for being here, you guys. It's our, our pleasure. pleasure. That is Take former care. Canucks defenseman Dave Babbage here live from the Vancouver Canucks alumni luncheon at the Hotel Vancouver. Thanks so much, Dave. Appreciate it. There we go. That was Dave Babbage chatting with us earlier just before the show got on the air. Of course, former Canucks defenseman, veteran of almost 1,200 NHL games, Drancer, which uh, I always look, like, when I'm looking up a player's history, that's, like, the first number I go to now because it just speaks so incredibly highly of you as an athlete when you're able to last almost 1,200 games uh, in the NHL. And we touched a little bit on Babbage's early career, you know, coming into the league with Winnipeg and how incredibly, uh, incredibly offensively prolific he was earlier in his career, but then also adjusting his game to last an awful long time in the NHL. And lots to dig into there from the, uh, the conversation with Dave Babbage, but I thought it was really interesting just what he had to say about kind of the shape, the shapes that seasons can take for teams and how you can get really hot to start the year one year, but then that's actually not the year where the team ends up having success in the playoffs. And one of the things with this Canucks team is I think that's made it difficult and sometimes very frustrating to try to get a handle on the team over the last few years. There's been such extremes, right? Like they they haven't had a season where they've just kind of clicked along at, you know, X win percentage month after month after month. And you you just feel like you're always either riding this incredible wave of good play and point production or the bottom is absolutely falling out. And sometimes you just have to step back and kind of take the biggest view possible. But it's hard to do when in the middle of it, you're you're again, you're either at the one end of the spectrum or the exact opposite end of the spectrum with this team. Yeah, the. Yeah, you know what? You're right. It is. It's hard for us to decipher what a baseline is for this club based off of the fact that, you know, this core group's gone from me being like, man, you know, if they could compete the way they did against Toronto, like last season, there was a video being passed around of the, of me describing the club's team-building strategies as arrogant. And and one of the main takes from the, that video was me being like, if this team would compete the way they did against Toronto for 50 games, I'd be a lot higher on them. Mm. Well, guess what? I think they competed uh, <laughs> much closer to that level for, you know, certainly 14 of these 16 games, and that is a huge change um, from what we've seen in the past. But the point being that this core group's been from one that I really wondered about having, like, do their collective skill sets combined translate to winning to right now they're the top three scorers in the NHL and, like, you know, favorites for a variety of key NHL awards. So, you know, when you are elastic band 
you're an elastic band team and, and your circumstance change or vacillate that wildly, you know, it is kind of hard for us to come up with like the reality or the truth yeah. of the situation. Um, but I do think the truth is closer to the middle of our extremes. It almost by than definition it is. has to be. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's just even though it never it never like situates there for any length of time, but no. I mean, it kinda has to be at a certain point. And you know, as but Dave, like I never thought that this team last year, they finished with eighty three points. I never thought that they were they were gonna be like a sixty five point team or something. You know what I mean? I never thought that they were nearly as bad as their results. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like I never thought they were a train wreck true true talent wise. And honestly, even the year before even the year before, like, both of the shows we've done, we've been sitting there as the results were horrendous uh, for the first season, horrendous at first and then spectacular. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then the second season, mostly horrendous and then, like, self-defeatingly good, right? And and all along it was like, well, this team isn't this bad. This team isn't this good. And uh, this year I think it's the same story. Like, this team's not, I don't think – a contending level team, even though they've gotten the results you'd expect from a contender, right? Um, even though their goal differential is the best in the league and, and on and on. Like, I don't know that there's enough five-on-five five in terms of their scoring. I don't know that they're controlling play well enough to really sustain that level of play over 82. But they'll probably have a run where they play fine and lose some games too, right? Yeah. You, you, the reality, you're, you know... It's captured in hockey, too, by a truism of you're never as good as you look at your best or as bad as you look at your worst, right? I mean, everyone in hockey has, like, a um, an understanding of this. It just feels like it's difficult to actually reflect it in the conversation around a hockey team over the course of a long season. And it's the kind of thing where you look back at teams from 30 years ago, like we were doing with Dave there, you can kind of – it's so much easier when you're removed from the the day-to-day up and down Mm. of it to, like, get a grasp on, oh, yeah, these teams were roughly this good, right? Right. When you're actually living it, it can be so hard to divorce the emotion from it. And uh, And I I thought he brought up something really interesting, which was, you know, we might have had better teams earlier in the 90s. Yeah. I've always thought – that the best version of the Canucks was the was the uh, I think it's the ninety one ninety two version before Larionov left. Like when you had, you know, Larionov running down the middle of your forward of, of your center group. Like I always thought that that was probably the the highest true talent level Canucks team. It was certainly the Canucks team that did the best and sustained the highest level over the course of the regular season, and also outshot their opponents by the widest margin. We don't have shot attempts or anything more granular, but. Um, you know, I-, I thought that was an interesting comment because I've always had this pet theory that, in fact, the Canucks' best shot to win a cup had, had occurred before mm. they actually broke through in the 93-94 run. Uh, that said, I've, like, pitched this at people in the past. Like, I've, like, pitched it at Trevor Linden, and he'll just, like, look at me blankly and be like, no. <laughs> uh-uh. Strong disagree. Yeah, strong disagree. <laughs> Mike, the urologist, says, I totally agree about the roller coaster over the past few years, but I strongly feel if they can just win a couple and lose one without being so streaky, it'll be more impressive to me than the heater start they've had. I think any decent NHL team go on a winning can go on a winning streak. Great teams minimize losing streaks. That's right. And as Dave said, the challenge now is going to be for the coaching staff to make sure you're managing the minutes right, you're managing the emotions right, and for the players themselves. And I agree with with Mike, the urologist, that you know if you can do that thing of minimizing losses, right, not letting one or two turn into three, four, five, six, etc. 
Like, you're going to have a ton of points at the end of the yeah. year. Right? Like, that should be job one, is keeping the keel as even as possible and managing those emotions from here for the remainder of the season. If you do that, you're going to be in a really strong position, and you're also going to be fresher and probably, like, emotionally and physically fresher going into the playoffs. Well, and I'd add this. You don't want to give too much life to the Strivers. You yeah. know, like, Calgary, like how, how much better? Calgary's now won four of their last six, has points in five of their last six, and are, are thinking to themselves, you know, the Canucks won on that run, and we just roasted them. Yep. Um, that's a team that I guarantee you is feeling a lot better about themselves today than they have all season. Well, you've got this Kraken team coming in now, you know, and the Kraken have played better of late. They've got some players like Matty Beneers who've been, like, mired in shooting percentage hell to this point in the season, but are talented players who can make a huge Im- impact and a huge difference here. Um, and you've got, you know, there's a four-point swing between you and the Kraken right now. You have a nine-point lead, but that nine-point lead gets narrow pretty fast if you drop those four-point um, games to them. So, it's, sorry, it's an eight-point swing over the course of a week because you mm. play them twice. Um, you know, don't give too much life to the Strivers. That That's sort of, for me, the key here um, for the Canucks between, like, now and, and American Thanksgiving. Well, and one of the incredible – there's so many ridiculous parts of this start, just, and I mean that in the best way possible, just incredibly good parts to this start for the Canucks. And one of them that got upset last night a little bit was just they hadn't lost to Western Conference teams. So every time they'd been in that position, right, whether it was uh, against Edmonton or, you know, against St. Louis, against Dallas – they were beating those teams in their in their conference and in their division, and they weren't giving life to anybody who was maybe trying to track them down in the playoffs. And they're going to have a chance to do that again here with the games coming up uh, against Seattle starting tomorrow at Rogers Arena against the Kraken. 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text message inbox. You can get your thoughts in. We'll look ahead to that game against the Kraken and some of the things coming up here for the Canucks as well, and we will take your text. Final segment coming up here live at the Canucks Alumni Luncheon. It is Canucks Talk on Sportsnet 650. Big opinions and good bets. It's the People's Show with Bick Nazar. Be sure to subscribe on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to Canucks Talk here on Sportsnet 650. It's Jamie Dodd. It's Thomas Drance live at the Canucks Alumni Luncheon here at the Hotel Vancouver. Live from the Kintech studio as well. 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. Dunbar Lumber with three stores to serve you in Ladner on Bridge Street or Dunbar Lumber Express at Ladner Center or Arbutus in Vancouver online at DunbarLumber.com. And uh, we've mentioned it in passing a little bit a couple times, but uh, good chance here to look ahead to the Canucks matchup with the Seattle Kraken tomorrow night at Rogers Arena. And I think there's a lot of elements to this one, right? Like you mentioned, don't let the teams in the West, and especially in the Pacific Division, that get off to a slow start. Like, do your part to continue the pain and the misery for them. Seattle certainly falls uh, into that category for the Canucks. I'm also, you know... We were talking about this with the roller coaster and, hey, can you minimize your losses? And that's been something I think the team has been really good at is, okay, when they've had maybe either a loss or a performance they weren't thrilled about, they've done a pretty good job of getting back to their game in a hurry. 
And, yeah, as much as you can point to the the fatigue and the schedule and the travel in Calgary last night, you know, as Rick Tocchet alluded to, there were still things they could have done differently in that game. So, for me, it's just as long as – keep that trend going as long as possible of, okay, hey, we, we didn't have a game we liked, but we're going to get right back to it. Tocchet has done such an amazing job of pulling those strings and pushing those buttons. That's been a huge positive for the team so far. So – I'm looking for that one as well. And then, you know, I got to say the other thing, and we were talking about it in the first segment, not necessarily seeing the same level of territorial dominance from JT Miller and his line with Brock Besser and Phil DiGiuseppe that we were earlier in the season. And maybe that's partly their play. Maybe it's partly the blue line. I feel like this would be a great chance for the JT Miller line to have a, a signature game as part of the Canucks as a whole, getting back to their identity for that line to have a real identity game. Not that there aren't very talented players on the Kraken, as you mentioned, Matty Beniers. You know, we know what Jared McCann can do as a scorer, but I do feel like the burden of being the top matchup line is a little bit reduced against a team like Seattle that does it more with the depth than the extreme high end, which some of the other teams have. Yeah, although, you know, you you face this Beniers group, or, or maybe the Canucks will identify Yan Gord as Tufts, uh, so, so it'll depend a little bit there. But you face this Beniers group, and with the way, like, you don't want to be a get-right spot for them. You know? No. But, I mean, Beniers, last I checked, was like minus 15 on the air. It's it's really minus 10 if you look at just 5-on-5, five five, which you should. Um, his his percentages, like, he's the anti-Canucks. His PDO is <laughs> like 92. You know, like, nothing has gone wrong for – or nothing has gone right for this guy. And what's sort of odd about it is when Beniers came in – like, right away, he had this preternatural swagger, you know, and, and Dave Babbage talked about this a little bit, right? The the idea that winning sort of builds on itself, right? Mm. You, it gives you some swagger, gives you some confidence. You're playing the Islanders, and you're down through one, and you still feel like you're going to win, right? And losing does the opposite, right? All of a sudden, everyone's gripping their stick. And, you know, and I think that's partly why we see such extreme results in this league, especially especially here <laughs> especially here but especially early in the season you know like it, it can take teams sometimes teams stumble a bit stagger early and it takes them a while to find themselves and oftentimes it's too late yeah <laughs> you know oftentimes it's too late um which is why getting on the sort of run that, that like for the Canucks to go to run as hot as they did for their first 15 games there's two times that you ever like there's two really valuable times for it to happen. One is in the playoffs. Yeah, that helps. <laughs> that's pretty good. That's, that's the best time for it to happen. But the second is when it is happens the for this team. The start, yeah. Like, now this team has buzz in the city. This team has confidence. And and Beneers is going to have to – They might sign like, Elias Pettersson, which yeah. was up in the air. Totally. No, it's <laughs> right. incredible. Think about it. Yeah. No, the, the value of this start, regardless of how much you buy into it, is through the roof, to the moon. Um. But for Beneers and, and the Seattle Kraken, right, like it's been a to the totally inverse uh, of that story. Like it's really been a struggle and it's going to be hard for them to find their footing, um, you know, in midstream. You don't want to be the get-right get spot more than anything. No, you, you don't, don't want to. You don't want to give them a leg up here. And that's the thing. You don't want to give them the glimpse of hope or the glimmer of hope, right? No. That, oh, hey, we just beat Vancouver. Like, hey, we're starting to close the gap on them. We have them again uh, coming up here next week. We can do this. Like, we can see the good times starting to come here. You don't want to be that team. And I do think, you know, you mentioned the matchup. 
that's going to be an interesting one because it's not as clear cut with Seattle as it is with so many teams, right? Where there's a clear number one line with the best players on it that you want to go against. I would kind my guess would be that we see Miller, Besser, and Giuseppe matched up with the Matty Beniers line, uh, which usually has Jared McCann and Jordan Eberle. Because I would almost think, and then Seattle's probably fine with having Yanni Gord out there against Elias Pettersson too. You know what I mean? So I yeah. feel like both teams will be like, okay, yeah, that's fine. We're they'll, not going to work to get away from those matchups. They'll we'll fancy just lead their chances. That. They'll yeah, fancy their chances. Probably, that's probably who they would want Yanni Gord out uh, against anyways. But, yeah, JT Miller in that line, I think it's, this is a good spot for them specifically for the team as a whole to lean on the Kraken and for JT Miller in that line specifically to have uh, a really big game in that one tomorrow against the Seattle Kraken. 650-650 is the uh, Dunbar Lumber text line. Uh, we were talking a little bit earlier in the show about the Elias Pettersson contract negotiation reports and and rumblings and the, the possibility of going short-term and also, as part of that, okay, what implications, if any, does that have for the Philip Hronick RFA contract negotiations? Brendan and Nanaimo text in, there's no chance that Philip Hronick gets the same or more money than Quinn Hughes. And I think this is going to be a really interesting dynamic, right? Quinn Hughes is at 7.85, obviously. And we talk so much about the internal salary cap structure for teams and how what an incredibly powerful tool that can be in the right circumstances. And obviously it doesn't apply to Elias Pettersson because he's just in such a different stratosphere than anyone. He's put himself in such a different stratosphere than anyone on the team is making. But the idea of the kind of positional internal salary cap as it relates to Quinn Hughes and Philip Ronick is a fascinating one. I think it works in the Canucks' favor, but as you said, Hronik is just absolutely crushing his arbitration yeah, only, results right now. Only so much. Yeah, that's the thing. And and again, does would it apply more to a player who had a longer history with the organization? Right. Like I, I think it's a good it's a good shout from Brendan and Nanaimo, but that's just another thing where can the Canucks make it work in their favor, or is the the statistical arbitration case that Philip Ronick is going to is putting up right now, if it continues, is it just going to kind of completely outweigh that well, at the end of the day? It really depends how it plays out, right? Because, I mean, we are living in a world right now where Hronik, you know, his, his, if his arbitration hearing was tomorrow, he'd have, like, the best case for a defenseman since Shea Weber. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like, truly, like, his numbers are silly. It's phenomenal. It's, it's silly. It's truly ridiculous so, what he's doing. Yeah, so, you know... I mean, it's tough. The New Jersey Devils, there was a lot of talk about that with um, Jack Hughes at eight. Can you go above that for Timo Meyer? Well, you have to. Yeah. You know? Um, can you go above 735 for Hironic in a world where he's got arbitration rights and, like, Noah Hannafin's going to sign for eight? Seven and a half, eight? I mean, can you really, like, you know, it's hard. It's really hard. Luckily, Quinn Hughes has spent a lifetime around the game and understands that he's on a bridge contract, and if you have to explain that, you have to explain that. You know? Um, oh, I don't think it would. No. I don't think it would, like, hurt the team chemistry or anything like that. If no. It come, you, you know what I mean? And you can use these to some extent, but at some point, the market reality um, gets involved in it, right? Like, uh, Kevin Bieksa talked about this. Remember, uh, Kevin Bieksa had a... I think a podcast appearance or something where when the Canucks were prepared to pay him 500 K more than Dan Hamhuis, he like called Dan Hamhuis to make sure it was okay. Players, players are always happy for their guys. Yeah. Well, for the most part, Um, you know, there is a benefit to having an internal structure that you can use to grind guys down. 
even if you're just able to say like, well, we can't pay you more than Quinn Hughes, you know, just being able to say it and like have the player think about it is, is useful to the Canucks, but it only does so much given the the arbitration leverage that Hironic that Hironic has, especially because of the way he's performed. I think a couple thing other things that are in play here as well is one, the value of the deals already on the books as internal ceilings, it starts to decrease the farther you get away from when the contract was signed, right? Mm. Just because everyone recognizes well circumstances change, the cap has gone up, like the player has changed, you know what I mean? And I would look at uh Colorado, right, with the Nathan McKinnon deal Miko Rantanen would have signed his big contract at some point in there, right? And it's not as if, like, Miko Rantanen's like, well, just because Nathan McKinnon's on this historical team-friendly deal doesn't mean I'm going to take the same kind of haircut. So I do think you can kind of, like, the salience of it wanes as the contract goes on. And uh, Alan Calgary says they weren't buying many UFA years with Quinn, though. And that's a part of it, too, right? As you said, these guys, these are guys that are at different stages of their careers. Quinn was signing coming off his ELC, so you're not getting as many UFA years. It's mostly RFA seasons. Hronik is so much closer to being a UFA. The market reality of it and the business case for it changes uh, a lot in Philip Hronik's case as it does compared to Quinn Hughes. Is it a, a card you can play and something kind of in your in your quiver to uh, to use in negotiation? Sure. But if Hronik's producing like this, it becomes very, very difficult, very difficult to uh, to limit him based on what Quinn Hughes is making right now. Uh, Sam texts in, can we talk about how Besser is tied for the league lead in goals? It is cracking me up because there was so much hype, deservedly so, because it's incredible that the Canucks had the three leading players, uh, three leading point scorers after that game against the Islanders. And it's like, oh, yeah, they also have another guy who's tied for the league leading goals. He's not one, not one of those three, a different fourth guy who's also tied for the league leading goals. Well, this was this was my big point yesterday, right? Was like, what does it say that these three guys and then add Brock Besser are scoring the way that they're scoring? Like, what does it tell you? Mm. It's a question. Well, one, that they're all really, really good, and especially on the power play. That's, <laughs> like, that's, that's what it tells me. That, that what, it, what it tells you, though, is that the Canucks' power play is a, a, a machine. Absolutely. An absolute, a, a, an absolute atom bomb. The like, goal it scored last night was hilarious. Hilarious. <laughs> Markstrom, Markstrom was just like, oh, you got me. <laughs> I'm going to save my energy it was for another one, guys. such a quick pass. It was unreal. And, um, yeah, but, but, you know, if you go look at their five-on-five production – we're talking about guys who are, like, top 30 in the league, you know, which is still good, right? But they're, like, mm-hmm. not in the top 25. It, you know, sometimes you'll see line mates. Do you remember, like, the years that it was, like, Henrik Daniel Sedin, Stamkos, Marty St. Louis, and Ovechkin were, like, the top five scorers in the NHL, right? And it's, like, two killer line mates and Russian machine never breaks, yeah. right? And what did that tell you? That t- told you that the Lightning and the Canucks had, you know, two of the most dominant lines in the league. Um a defenseman and center and two centermen who don't play together, <laughs> right? That, that That's a product of the success that they've had on PP1, which is not a knock against them because PP1's been a key driver in, in this team winning games, right? Like, this power play is just yeah. – this power play is at a, a, an unconscious level at this point. Like, it's just such a massive, massive weapon for this team. It is, and it's uh, and it just plays so perfectly to the strengths of all the players involved mm. as well. Like JT Miller, the combination of his passing ability and his like as we saw last night, and the danger of his shot. Like it's rare to have two for a player for one player to have two absolute weapons like that going at the same time, right? Where you, you can't you can't cheat either way. 
on him, on what he's doing anytime he has the puck. His best power play weapon, though, Jamie, is his brain. Well, sure. <laughs> well, that's part of the passing. <laughs> I mean, it's part of no, it No, he's all. clinical. He's clinical. He's, like, absolutely clinical. I, I'm, I'm serious. He's the smartest 5-on-4 player I've ever seen. Really? Yeah. Wow. I'm not saying he's the best. No, 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 but the smartest. Like, Ovechkin's probably the most. In terms of, like, Increasing a team's expected goals on the power play, totally. or whatever, right? Like, especially OB. because, especially because of the attention he demands, right? Like Ov on that in that yeah. spot creates all this stuff for yeah, exactly. Um, you know, and then and then there's guys like Eric Carlson yeah. who are just like one man breakup machines. Kucherov, like, yeah, comes Kuch- to mind. Kucherov is Kucherov is a genius. Mm-hmm. Kucherov is also a genius. Um, but Kucherov, you know, I think Kucherov has like more natural skill. If that makes sense, like sure. Kucherov, I think, I think JT Miller's had to like learn more. I think JT Miller's like had to come further to get to where he was. So I'd give him, but yeah, Kucherov Miller. Yeah, now that you bring up Kucherov, I'm a little like, ooh, maybe it's Kucherov. But yeah, those two are conductors, like absolute symphonic conductors. Yeah, on, on five on four, I don't think there's many pl- players I've seen who are just like smarter, more nuanced in their understanding and more disciplined about attacking and just, like, simply taking what they're given. Like, yeah. that's what JT Miller does so well. Well, and that's the thing, because as I'm talking about having both the pass and the shot going, because we've you, you like, see a lot of guys who get the puck on the half wall and are conductors in terms of passing, right? Like, obviously, like, Henrik Sedin. But you think about, like, Joe Thornton or somebody. You know, who guys who it's like, yeah. I'm a wicked passer. And that's inc- I'm not trying to take anything away from those guys. Like, that's an incredible weapon to have on the power play. And all those guys were super, super successful. But you also knew shooting was, like, a bit of a last resort, right? They're like, no, I don't really want to. I want to set somebody else up. With Miller, it is truly, like, if you – his shot is incredible. The way he comes downhill and picks his spot in there, and it's so rare to have guys who can do both at the same at the same part. But but it's also what shot he takes when and how he takes it. Right the the yep. way that the way that he'll recognize immediately if um, if the defense is narrow. Right when you've got the narrow builds, the the not the diamond, but the the other mm. power play. Where it's more kind of stacked down the middle. Stacked yeah. down the middle. That's when he starts to ma- like watch it. Watch it off of a draw. Puck goes to Miller at his usual spot on the half wall, and if they're stacked in that like two-one-one, uh, Miller will take that downhill wrist shot. If they're not, he's not going to look for it mm. because it's when he has the space off the flank when they're not cheating out on him that that shot works. And and time and time again, it's like based on the formation, Miller will play it differently because he thinks that's available to him. Unbelievable discipline. And by the way, you talked to like. I talked about my Besser theory. Is Besser perfectly calibrated to this power play yeah. because of the failures of the past? And, like, all of these guys will say, you know, when I moved to the net front, you know, JT helped me a ton hmm. figure out how to work as a screener, how to work as a passer. Like, this is where I got better. This is why. And, you know, I just think he's, I just think he's brilliant. Like, I think he's – brilliant five on four well it is interesting. i I do still have questions about his five on five work at center sure and uh and although i was like man i think i might be wrong six games ago it's it's since trended in a way where i'm like oh right maybe i maybe i should have been a little more stubborn (laughs) there (laughs) uh because i i do need to i he sustained it for like 45 games and i was like okay we're getting to the point where this matters but the last five have really been tough and uh so 
you know, I, I think that's one where we'll just have to watch watch it, how it sustains over the full season. My last point on the power play, because I do want to dig into that five-on-five five concept a little bit, but it is wild to think about how much success he's had there. And yet, when that trade happened and they acquired JT Miller, nobody was thinking, oh, okay, they've just got their conductor on the power play, right? Like, that was just not not we, – we didn't think that was going to be this major a part of his game. And he's always played on the power play, starting out in the net front. But to see him grow into this role and add all of these dimensions and impact the power play to the degree that he has when, again, it was not as if that was the calling card of his game when he arrived here. It's been really, really, really impressive. And uh, this one comes in. Um, Besser's – we were talking about Besser and uh, him leading the league in goal, and somebody texted him, Besser's play has been so meh, though, like five on five, it hasn't been good I don't know if I would quite agree with that because again there was a a stretch where that line was having truly really really impressive results and underlying numbers and all of it process anything you wanted to to look at they were playing really really well and I still think Besser has been good I do think it's completely fair though to look at the absence of that same peak in terms of performance from that line over the last handful of games and the Miller at center thing is so fascinating because when you added up all of the things that have gone right so far in the season, right? And you have Demko playing extraordinarily well. You have Quinn Hughes leveling up, being a, you know the front runner for the Norris. You have the power play clicking, and then you also had JT Miller playing at that level as a two-way force mm. at center. It was that last bit, JT Miller, that was the thing that was most convincing me to get on board with this team, right? Because all of those other things – like we've seen them. You know what I mean? We've seen them. We know Demko's capable of that. We know the power play can be a weapon. We know what Quinn Hughes and Elias Patterson can do as individuals, as point producers. JT Miller being like that at center almost felt like the key to unlocking a higher possible level for mm. this team. And the defensive results that he was driving felt like the key to seeing another level from this team. And I'm not saying oh, it's over now, we're not going to see it again, right? But just to me, that's always going to be something I'm keeping an incredibly close eye on because it feels like it's the thing that's going to swing this team's fortunes the most. If he's playing like a two-way beast down the middle, then I think we got to start talking about, okay, what's the ceiling for this team? What's the ceiling for this team next year? When that starts to flag, you're going to get really, really nervous in a hurry. Well, and, and so the thing to focus on then is not like the last five games – or the or the best five games, right? Yeah. It, within the context of let's figure out what the baseline is, right? Let's let's do our our, our best to see the reality of it. Um, over the course of the season, like the underlying profile has worsened so rapidly that he's like sub forty six percent shot attempt differential right now. Well, you know, if the baseline's not fifty percent, you're in trouble. Given mm-hmm. the given the minutes he plays and the quality of competition he plays against. Like, you need to be winning that matchup or at least coming out even. And and then if you're going to be a contender if you're and, and you're only coming out even and not winning that matchup, you need to be destroying the secondary matchup with Pedersen, and that's not happening either. Yeah. And that's where, and that's where like, honestly, this five-on-five five stuff and the lack of overall five-on-five five Offense, not from a goal scored perspective, but from a chances manufactured perspective, from an OZUP perspective. That's where, like, I, I think over the last five, six games, I'm beginning to see the warning signs where maybe the regression that hits the Canucks could be more severe than I'd anticipated. 
right? Like, I still think this team has enough outs between their goaltending quality, their power play, mm -hmm. etc. But if your five-on-five -five game looks like this and you're struggling that much to generate offense five-on-five, -five, then as you move further and further away from o October hockey, it can get really, really tough. That's where I need to see this team do a lot more over the next 15 games. Um, you know, if, if I'm going to be believing in them as like whale team good and if we get <laughs> whale team good baby uh and if we you know to tie it back into the the Pedersen short-term conversation and you know I've started to really think seriously about what would taking a swing this year look like in terms of adding pieces in January or February or adding pieces for the next couple of years if you can by trading futures the thing that I'm going to be looking at, like if I was to press fast forward and get to, you know, January 31st and say, okay, should this team make a big splash or not? Like to me, the deciding factor will be how is JT Miller playing at center? If he's playing at an extremely high level, then I think the ceiling for this team is such that you really have to strongly consider taking, making the most of that opportunity and, and trying to add a big piece. If he's not there, it becomes a much dicier proposition it's just so key to not just sustaining what this team has done but opening up those paths to you know truly being a contender this year next year and I think you know we go into that as I said like pretty much game in game out this is what I'm going to be focusing on is where is that form where is it stacking up because it's really the key uh to so much of what this team is going to be doing and uh, hey we'll get a chance to check it out tomorrow against the Seattle Kraken by the way quickly before we get off the air like, is this ever going to be a rivalry? Are these teams ever going to be good at the, <laughs> at same, the same time? time? That would be nice I mean, at I, some point. I mean, I, I wouldn't I wouldn't say that it's out of the question over the balance of this, of this year. season. Yeah, I mean, it's possible. Like, I don't think the Kraken are as bad as they've looked. I don't think the Canucks are as, uh, over, you know, I think the Canucks are a little bit overheated. I don't think they're a 130-point pace team. <laughs> Hot take. Um, I wouldn't be shocked if we see a Kraken-Canucks game mean something later on in the year. I wouldn't be shocked. I don't think the Kraken are as good as Vancouver, though. I, I think no. I had that. I think I had that wrong. I think the, like, I had the Canucks ahead of Calgary, and I had them just behind the Kraken in the same tier going into this season, and I, I think I was probably a little too high on the Kraken, a little See, bit I, too low on the Canucks. I screwed it up the other way. I had the Flames ahead of the Canucks, but I did have the Canucks yeah, I wasn't willing to get tricked by the Flames no. again. I did. I, uh, I did. You, now, the big question, though, is do you think we were wrong about the Oilers? I think we were – I think everyone – it's not It's not like we were out here being like, hey, I think the Oilers could oh, be good when I, everyone else thought they could be bad. It wasn't I exactly think, a hot take. No, I think the industry was probably a little too high on the roster. I, but I don't think they're – like, I don't think it's like, oh, they're actually a 90-point team. See, I don't know if they were. I just think McDavid got hurt and they didn't look mm. right. And I think if McDavid and Dreisaitl get right, that team's going to be scary over the second half. That's going to wrap it up for us. Have a great weekend. Enjoy the game tomorrow night at Rogers Arena. We're back on Monday. Thanks for listening here on Sportsnet 650.